Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to Ask a Catholic Dude here on Anchor FM. Thanks for tuning in. Name is Nick, and I am that Catholic dude, taking any and all questions you might have on the Catholic faith, scripture, tradition, what have you. Uh, so yeah, today um, it's it's Sunday. Happy Sunday, everybody. Hope you are enjoying the end of the weekend. Yeah, I heard some great stuff at Mass today. You know, excellent homily again from uh, from our pastor today. It's uh, the Feast of the Transfiguration today. Uh, every August sixth is the uh, you know it, it, it's celebrated in the you know Catholic calendars, uh, Eastern Orthodox, Oriental Orthodox, I believe even Lutherans and Anglicans uh, all today uh, celebrate the Transfiguration of our Lord, where uh, where Jesus went up to Mount Tabor with uh, the apostles uh, Peter, John, and James the Greater, and Christ's full glory was his, his whole divine glory was. Uh, you know, shown to them, he was transfigured, and uh, and there appeared Moses and Elijah as well uh, with our Lord. Um, but you know, our, our pastor gave an excellent homily today on how you know Catholics, all Christians, Christians of any stripe, you know, we we believe in the supernatural, the metaphysical, whereas today's secular world really focuses on the physical. And and our pastor in his homily talked about scientism, the infatuation with science. And how, you know, people put so much trust and faith into science that they believe it's the only way we can learn about anything. Not just the physical, but anything. Physical knowledge is all we need. And, you know, the metaphysical, the, the spiritual is totally ignored. And as I was thinking about that, I was reflecting, too, on the, the 10th anniversary of, uh, of a letter, a multi proprio that Pope Benedict the 16th put out 10 years ago, uh, Smorum Pontificorum, and uh, that allowed the what is known as the extraordinary form, the uh, the missal that Catholics used in their liturgy prior to 1969. It allowed them, it allowed pastors to say it on their own whenever they wanted without getting uh, permission from the local bishop, which was uh, the way things used to be. And I was able to find an excellent. Uh, an excellent podcast by a young priest, same age as me, in his late 20s, um, from the Diocese of Joliet. His name is uh, Father Michael Polowitz. And uh, there's actually uh, uh, somewhat of a transcription of this this uh, this talk he gave at a uh, panel on the mutual enrichment between the ordinary form, which is the 1969 Missal of Blessed Pope Paul VI, and the extraordinary form, which people commonly known as the traditional Latin Mass, or the Usurus Antiquator, um, the old form. So I'm going to let him speak for himself on the podcast, and you can listen to the full uh, talk, the full nearly hour-long talk on the liturgicalinstitute.podbean.com. But I'm just going to put a few excerpts here from uh, Father Mike's talk. The reason I was thinking about this was because so often it seems, and this isn't true at my parish, my current parish, but so often in the ordinary form, it seems like we lose a sense of the sacred. And in the extraordinary form, just as we see in the regular divine liturgy in the Byzantine Rite churches, um, we see a beauty, we see the metaphysical. And and that's what Father was talking about today, was like, you know, so many people are focused on the physical, and we forget about the metaphysical. And it seems like sometimes we forget about the metaphysical spiritual things in some certain celebrations of the ordinary form and so he wanted to bring up the topic of mutual enrichment which pope benedict the 16th talks about in uh this this letter that we're celebrating the 10th anniversary of 
Pope Benedict mentions this uh, disenchantment with the celebration of the ordinary form when he directly says in his letter uh, that this occurred above all because in many places celebrations were not faithful to the prescriptions of the new missal, but the latter actually was understood as authorizing or even requiring creativity, which frequently led to deformations of the liturgy which were hard to bear. I am speaking from experience, since I too lived through that period with all its hopes and its confusion and I have seen how arbitrary deformations of the liturgy cause deep pain to individuals totally rooted in the faith of the church. So Father Michael talks about how this uh, mosul proprio is really an act of generosity on the part of Pope Benedict, um, and it's aimed at man maintaining unity and regaining reconciliation where disunity has arisen. So I'm going to toss it over to Father Mike now, and uh, let's learn a little bit about the mutual enrichment that the Catholic Church, the Latin Rite of the Catholic Church, can find from the ordinary form and extraordinary form. The questions of sacrality and accessibility must be subjugated to the overarching principle that the Mass is the central means by which we adore God and become partakers in His divine substance, in His divine nature. So we have to recognize we're on the same team. Everyone that's going to Mass is going because they want to meet with the Lord Jesus. The Novus Ordo is valid in the currently predominant mode of that meeting. The Usus Antiquior is also valid in the traditional expression of that meeting. The two are not enemies. This is going to be my youth coming out. I think we're at a point where most of the folks, at least in the pews, or many of the folks in the pews, are moving beyond the tensions of the old church, new church thing. Okay. I didn't live through the so-called liturgy wars, okay? Most of us were not alive when Lefebvre consecrated the bishops. No. Um, most of us were not alive for the most horrible abuses, right? The clown masses, the disco masses, the yoga masses, the, I don't know, big puppet con-celebrating masses. Um, these are all just stories to us. Uh, did some of you live through that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, my, my. Well, When we hear about this, we just kind of laugh and shrug and say, man, that's really weird. <laughs> because we did not live through this, though, it means that we're not scarred, okay? It means we're not bitter and angry. Um, we do not necessarily see the church divided into these same camps. We do not really know what the terms old church and new church mean. Um, it's much more a question of what is Catholic and what is not Catholic. Um, so Eucharistic adoration, great. Praise and worship, great. Latin chant, great. Work with the poor, great. Small groups and evangelization, great. End nuclear war, great. End abortion, great. Like, we want all of this stuff, right? The difficulty is that this new generation, my generation, doesn't know anything about the tradition of the church. We don't know about her music. We don't know about her art. We don't know about her devotions. We don't know about her architecture. We don't know about her saints. When we do encounter these things, we don't say, man, that's really old. We say, whoa, I didn't even know this existed. Is this new? <laughs> this should be a cause for joy for us because it reminds us that the church is ever new and that her children continually rejoice in what she has to offer and find awe in the places that we would not have expected or that we ourselves have discounted. Mutual enrichment is not, therefore, an invitation to tinkering. 
nor is it necessarily an invitation to begin plotting the next liturgical reform. <laughs> yeah. It is extremely disruptive to change the church's liturgies every 25 to 30 years, even if those changes are for the better. It does not mean introducing bows and genuflections from the older use into the new, or single-handedly deciding to celebrate the extraordinary form versus populum. Mutual enrichment's first indication is to allow the rites to be the rites and to celebrate them, to rediscover that the liturgy is above all a gift, that it's something received, that it's an exercise in the priesthood of Jesus Christ, the work of Christ the priest and of his body, which is the church. A tree cannot grow if his branches are continually being hacked off and then grafted on later. For us who are not working in the Congregation for Divine Worship, therefore, the most obvious application of mutual enrichment is to celebrate the sacred rites with awe, with reverence, and with devotion. We, especially priests, need to stop tinkering with things, and we need to celebrate the Mass as it's written, not as our tastes determine or even as the laity's expectations demand. This especially means reading and implementing the general instruction of the Roman Missal. You guys know what that is, right? <laughs> Aidan Nichols similarly notes that the intervention to reorder the liturgy should evidently be modest and cautious at all times. Councils of bishops, popes, and their curia are principally guardians of the liturgical tradition, not its proprietors. Devout and loving celebration of the rites as they are written are among the surest ways to emphasize that this is a work of God and this is not the work of man. He takes up poor and human material goods, surely, but they are divinized in order to affect our salvation. Indeed, regular devout celebrations of the Mass according to the rubrics, while making use of the more solemn capacities of the, of the Missal, will do much to respond to what Father, Aiden, what Father Nichols says, that the re-enchantment of the Catholic liturgy is the most pressing and urgent ecclesial need of our time. However, that's not enough. The options inherent to the Missal of Paul VI need to be chosen correctly in order that in order to move more clearly toward Benedict's envision interior reconciliation, and to show clearly that the two forms are an expression of the same lex orandi of the church. These options should follow probably what Peter Kwanizewski's continuity principle says. Whenever given a choice by the rubrics, one should always do what is in most continuity with the preceding tradition. Examples of this would be to use the confidier, to incorporate the chants of the Missal, to use the full Roman canon and to omit the sign of peace. Similarly, celebrating Masses Coram Deo, singing the texts that were formerly sung, and observing silences at the appropriate times are all both explicit options that we have, and they're fully consonant with the ordinary forms rubrics. Now, just as every liturgical emendation is a critique of what has gone before, Sacrosanctum Concilium is providing a valid critique for the Roman Missal of that era. Note again, critique does not mean repudiation. Rather, the document provides nine modest proposals for tweaking the liturgy so that people can more fully, consciously, and actively participate. Because the liturgy is not irreformable, the same principle holds for the Missal of Paul VI. There can be valid critiques of this Missal, but, so that we don't get on our high horse, these critiques have to be rooted in an authoritative source. 
For the reforms of the 1960s, the criteria for critique were from an ecumenical council. Benedict has emphasized the tradition of the church as the second pole by which the, by which the missile of Paul VI can be uh, viewed. In Samorum Pontificum, instead, if by, forgive me, instead by, of by legislative fiat, Benedict has placed an organic mechanism by which the liturgical forms can be further refined. I'm very specifically not saying rolled back. I'm saying further refined. More pointedly, I think that the nine mandates of the council are indispensable reforms. We cannot go back on them. Insofar as they are read, though, according to the text and not interpreted freely. However, there has been a huge amount of introductions that are more dubious. These are going to be the places where mutual enrichment really has its place, okay? Some of these things that fall into the zone would be the following decisions. And I'm, just, I'm not saying all of these are bad. I'm saying these are places not specifically asked for by the council, and so we, the church, not we, needs to take a look. Change all of the orations. Remove the chants from the missal. Reconstruct totally the lectionary. Produce new altars. Remove the tabernacle from the sanctuary. Destroy altar rails. Allow, uh, allow reception of the Eucharist by means other than the traditional way. Face the people to celebrate Mass. Dissolve the minor orders. Take out all of the blessings from the Roman ritual and then let the people wish each other well. Use any language other than Latin for the majority of Mass. Sing really bad music. Um, <laughs> reading by people who are not actually lectors, whether it be instituted or ordination. Unity candles, eulogy, sand in the holy water font. You guys saw the bishop vested on a bicycle in Italy. Um, liturgical dance, altar girls, and the Los Angeles Religious Education Congress. <laughs> I don't know if you were counting, but that's a lot more than nine, no? Some of these are clearly a little bit more facetious than others, right? But you understand my point. Many things have been introduced which are found in the shadows of the penumbra of Sacrosanctum Concilium. I'm not saying that these are all bad or unjustified. But what I, am saying is that, what I am saying is that if the nine mandates were the policy initiatives to impl implement Sacrosanctum Concilium 14, then we have experienced a whole lot of other stuff, which is not explicitly requested and has, was not present before the reforms. Now, maybe they are, maybe they are not. But what is clear is that the idea of active participation alone is insufficient, okay? The idea is the active participation alone is insufficient to be a criteria for liturgical critique. Thank you for listening. To find out more about us, visit us at liturgicalinstitute.org or find us on Facebook. So yeah, I think that was an excellent talk by Father Mike, and uh, it's just a joy to hear uh, him speak on such an issue. And I've also gotten a lot of joy out of reading uh, his articles, you know, either online or in print in various places. And uh, make sure to listen to the entire talk if you uh, would like to check them out, check out more um, over at the Liturgical Institute's website. And also, there's a kind of partial quasi transcript as I was as I was mentioning before um, and you can find that on adoremus.org a-d-o-r-e-m-u-s.org 
uh, just you know, you search on there or uh, Google autoramos.org. Uh, Ten years later, uh, new generation, and you'll see it right there uh, from Father Mike. So uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Um, always, as always, feel free to call in with any questions or uh, comments, concerns you might have, and uh, would love to uh, speak to you on here. So have a great rest of your weekend, and uh, we'll see you next time here on Ask Catholic Dude. Take it easy.